text is from Luke 1, 5 through 25. Please follow along as we read the passage aloud. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you. And I'm excited and honored to be preaching this morning through our text in Luke 1. We've heard from Ruthie preaching on Mary and Naomi preaching on Anna last week. And we've had the pleasure of these amazing women in our community speaking and preaching on women and the ways that they expectantly waited. This morning, I am going to attempt and hope to widen our imagination of expectantly waiting in this season of Advent through the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I can't think of a couple's story more about the deep longings and waiting and wrestling. See, perhaps you're like me. Uh, I didn't always see or perceive Advent like this triumphant or joyful expectant waiting season. And maybe you're in a season of grief and darkness that's steeped in a range of pain or despair or deaths of different kinds, or you're on the verge of a shaking faith that you're not quite sure how this is gonna turn out. 
And maybe there's a shadow cast over the season and that no matter how hard you try or that you desire, you're searching for God and for any ounce of hope. And for me, many years, Advent actually was a time of highlighting unmet expectations or showing me the things that I didn't have. It seemed really odd. The whole world around me uh, was cheery and bright and merry and everything else inside and my experience in my world seemed very dark and cold. And I didn't have a cheery disposition no matter how hard I tried or I desired great faith and encouragement. I really wanted that but felt bleak and blank. And I was expecting things, I wanted to expect things, but somehow this season reminded me of how those things I expected went unmet. Even further, what was harder is it seemed like everyone else was getting the things that they always wanted and I was just kind of left alone on the side. See, if this is you in this dark season like me years ago, then I wanna invite you to take one step closer to the heart of my words and God's invitation to say that Advent is just for you. It's actually for all of us. And if we're in this dark season, I have faith that God will show us that Advent is just specifically and particularly for you. And I wanna acknowledge that maybe we aren't in this type of space of darkness. This might have been the greatest season of our lives so far. We might have experienced extreme breakthrough. And I wanna say, we're with you as a church. I'm joyful with you. And we need your testimonies of God's graciousness as well. And this morning in particular, the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, I wanna invite you, particularly in that cheery season of breakthrough, to be with others who are not in that season with you and are not in that headspace as well. We need you. We need our fellow community to be with us in prayer, in spirit, and in presence with one another in this room, side by side, contending and praying for God to instill hope that only he can. And this morning, maybe we just need God to show us that we're actually not alone, that we need an acknowledgement that someone else is with us, and we might actually have someone else that's gonna help us maybe take one little movement. Maybe we're not ready to take a step, but maybe it's just like a head turn or like an eyebrow, eyebrow raise kind of thing to be like, okay, God, maybe, but we need you to help us do that. We need others to encourage us that maybe God is up to something for our good. And just like we find in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, we need others to share that there's a purpose a lot bigger than we could imagine. See, I have faith that God is going to move us all towards him this morning. And I'm gonna pray and have faith that through his word and the power of our prayers and presence together that we begin to see the light and hope today. Let's pray. God, you know our deepest longings and you're with us in this Advent season and all the time. Would you bring your soothing words of comfort and I ask that you give us encouragement in the ways that we as your church can experience you. Lord, we trust deeply that you care about the things that we long for and are expectant for. Would you accept our invitation to a deeper relationship with you? And we actually invite you to enter into our longings. We're gonna take a risk here. Help us draw connections of what you're doing and actually how we can earnestly seek the way that you're working. God, we thank you and we praise you. Would you be with us? Amen. 
So the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is about this kind of darkness season that they're living through. Their story is steeped in silence. Culturally, we find ourselves at the point of their story. It's a time of 400 years of silence from God. See, they were desperate to hear from God and desperate to hear from him. This theme of silence only heightened their expectation and waiting. And also, Zachariah and Elizabeth's story is about a longing to have a child. I'm talking about those kinds of deep desires, not just the wants, like I want some chocolate or something, but like things that we've longed for for a long time. Longings, right? The things we've deeply desired in our souls for a very long time. And here's the thing about longing. It has the power to spark pain or this kind of ache that's deep within us. And longings are sometimes closest to our hearts that sometimes are so vulnerable that we can only share with one or two people. And oftentimes, actually, maybe they don't have a language to that or we can't articulate it, but we sense it. We sense the ache. It's tender. It's vulnerable for me. If I just press a little bit more, I could probably start crying any second. But it's that ache. And for those of us who have been longing for something like this, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we are acquainted with this kind of deep ache. See, we can put ourselves in their story where we find ourselves today. And with Zachariah and Elizabeth, I am talking about the ache for things that we've wanted for decades, if not lifetimes and even generations. So this morning, I'm gonna share with you one of the things that over the decades, the Lord has been showing me and encouraging me through faithful longing and faithful waiting, just like Advent today in this season and just like Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. See, I can relate and find myself in their story. In this personal aspect of longing and in this personal place, I'm expecting God to come and show me his intention for my life and the way that I should wait faithfully and also with my whole self, and my whole heart and my whole life, it's risky. <laughs> and I want us to take some courage to go there. So in one phrase, I can describe this longing that I have been 15 times a bridesmaid and never a bride yet. <laughs> so part of my story that I've shared with you as a community over the years is my journey into singleness and what that's meant for my life. Years ago, I taught about this aspect and since then have had some really amazing breakthroughs with God about his intentions and purposes for my life. And he's not done yet. But now zoom out over the decades, I can honestly say as a whole, it's been one of the most heartbreaking ups and downs of surrender and my faith. And attached to that, one of the most sacrificial acts of praise by surrendering my life to wait faithfully and actively. This has been a kind of deep longing. It's been my deep ache, right? This is not the only longing I have for my life though, but it's also been one of the most life-giving and life-changing longings to allow Christ to transform my life to embody fullness of joy and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. See, I still have much more to learn and still am longing and waiting expectantly for God. See, Advent is a season that we are active in our waiting and active in our pursuit of what God is doing. So yes, I wanna say every day is not amazing, right? The longings are still there. Some seasons are worse and darker and some seasons are lighter and less ache. But just like Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, we can relate. This Advent season, we wait in expectation still. 
So my story has been, I've been single for 41 years of my life, soon to be 42, my birthday's in two days. And yes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just want you guys to celebrate. Anyways, um, yeah. So in that time, you know, the longings can take some time to work through, right? At the core of the wrestling and questioning, I found treasure and some very deep questions at the bottom of my ache if I was willing to go there. And I'm gonna ask that we risk to go there with me, but also in your own life. And I hope you can relate to some of these questions. And actually we find them also in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story that gives us language to our longings. See, there's nothing like vulnerability of singleness and dating that reveals a lot more of what's going on in my heart and in our hearts. So my journey started back when I first began to ask God, listen, in this whole waiting thing, am I even seen? Part of my story also includes in the longing is wrestling through being an Asian American woman, a pastor who's vocationally single and celibate, meaning my calling as a Christ follower is to live this out faithfully as God would call me to and is both nuanced and complex in life in general. So then you throw in dating in there. That gets even crazier. And more layers of culture and my faith and age. And this ache sometimes can be overwhelming. Yet the invitation is to follow God to deeper questions, right? We start there, we go deeper. We wait in expectation. It's active longing. We can ask God, Lord, listen, I've said to him, <laughs> Uh, you've called me to live out this way with intentionality and in a way that reflects you. I have no idea what that looks like. Show me what that looks like. And at the heart of that, we went even further and deeper into the questions and nuances and layers and the deeper ache was still there. It came to questions like, do I even belong? And further, am I even known? What made the ache so deep at times was I found myself in this raw place right, to be completely vulnerable, it was at parties and tables where everyone was celebrating things that I deeply desired, like marriages and baby showers and graduations and baby birthdays. And it can be the weirdest, strangest place. Sometimes I didn't have language to it, I couldn't describe it, but it's being there. And I've had held babies and rocked them to sleep that were not my own. I've parented teenagers and I've even taught some of them to drive and I'm still alive. And, and even deeper and even funnier because I'm trying to be vulnerable, but it's even questions like, uh, who's gonna take care of me when I'm old and frail? <laughs> and maybe I won't be able to feed myself, so who's gonna do that for me? And um, will I be alone forever? So we see how deep these questions can be. They're so deep at the heart. And I wanna say also, I've been impatient and imperfect in my waiting and wrestling. And even despite that, I went even further. I took more courage with God and with other people to take one step further towards God in those aches. And I waited and longed by asking questions like, do you even see me? And do you even care? These questions have a way of cutting right to the ache and the longing. And now I wanna say vulnerably, I'm still in that longing season. And I'm asking God even deeper questions with a deeper ache at the heart. Maybe the deepest question I've ever asked so far in my following Jesus. But it's a question that sounds like, if I spent my entire life never finding a partner or getting the thing that I longed for, 
would I still believe that you, God, are good? Maybe your story isn't about singleness. Maybe it's about something else that you've deeply longed for, that deep thing that makes you ache. See, we can replace this with really any kind of question that we might be confronted with with our life with God. It's that if we don't get that blank or that thing we've been longing for, will I still believe that God is good? It can show up in questions with God in our longing, like what if I don't get that job? Or what if I lose my job? What if God doesn't heal me? What if I never have biological children? What if I get that diagnosis that I've been dreading? And what if that test comes back negative or even positive in some cases? And what if everyone else seems to be getting the things they've always wanted and I feel so alone? And even further, what if God never answers me? Now, I'm not here to answer these particular questions for you. This is a deeper invitation. This is the heart of the invitation to go deeper into your aches with God. But it's when we get to those deep questions of longing with God that that is where the invitation for us to know him more lies. See, he can be trusted with our honesty, with our rawness. He can untangle all those things that are a mess in our head. But these are deep questions and conversations that are part of being human. I wanna acknowledge that we're human. We have those longings and those wrestlings and those questions. But there is hope to be found in those as well. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this line of questioning. In fact, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't asked yourself these questions, questions, start the journey with God and in the community around you with these questions. I have faith and trust at the heart of those questions, at the end of that root and that longing, these questions, there is deep rooted intimacy with God. I have found at the center of my questionings and longings and the aches, there is a fullness and joyfulness I feel with God. It's in these deep questions that we actually also have an invitation to find God, like Zachariah and Elizabeth in our story today. And today, I wanna continue and showing you and teaching and pointing us towards the point of that we do not let our longings convince us that God is lacking. See, silence does not equate absence. Our hopelessness does not need to shadow over the ways that God is present. And God is always inviting us to see what he is up to. We must remember that belief does not impede reality. So we're gonna enter into Elizabeth's story and it's all about waiting. <laughs> and so the backstory, Zachariah and Elizabeth are no strangers to waiting or even silence. We see that after a period of 400 years of silence from God is actually the heart of where we find Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. They are longing for something deeply and they are longing for God to answer an ache and they're longing to have a child. It's here in our passage is where the author, Luke, begins his story. And it's not where we expect, right? It's not at the birth story of Jesus. He begins actually the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth as if to help prepare our hearts and minds to give us insight into what God is doing to prepare a way for the birth of the Messiah. It's as if Luke is giving us a moment of hope and insight to tell us that God is already at work and preparing even when we don't see it. And the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is also not a strange new story. It actually reveals a snapshot of a long-standing sequence of God's purposes already at play. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth are a devout couple going about their everyday life. 
And we see in this story, we can ask ourselves in our longings, how well do we actually wait? And what does our life in waiting look like? Simone Whale quotes, waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. This also, the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is not a litmus test of whether or not we're doing waiting correctly or incorrectly. <laughs> actually, we see in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, they actually wait quite imperfectly. And often, God shows up in ways that we least expect him to. So in fact, this is actually a story about how we wrestle with deep longings and that despite our imperfection and failure to wait, Jesus still shows up. Pastor and author Rich Viotis quotes, the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. Remember, our belief does not impede God's reality. And again, we're gonna look back in our text in Luke 1 in the same chapter. We actually see Mary's story and her song, one of youthful, young, and pregnant, barely just starting her life. She is a child. <laughs> and contrasted in the same chapter actually is where we see Zachariah and Elizabeth who are an old couple. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth waited a lifetime for a deep longing. They want a family and children. And we will see later in this passage, Zechariah's song and longing flows from such a different place. But I wanna point out that the contrast of Mary's young story with Elizabeth and Zechariah's story as an older couple is very purposeful. They both reveal the good news that God does not discriminate. See, no matter how young or old, we can all be visited by God. The story of God is for all ages and all time. And we're pointed again to not let our longings convince us that God is lacking. So further in this as well, in the passage, we see Zachariah and Elizabeth's old age. And in this, in their longing, we can begin to wonder in their waiting and as they're getting on in years, that they might have thought that they were running out of time somehow or that maybe hope was lost. And maybe we can relate to moments of life where we feel like God's faithfulness towards us is scarce or it's running out of time, or will expire. But we're gonna discover that this is not the case in their story. And even deeper into Zechariah's story of longing, see, Zechariah's name means God remembers, but what happens when life experiences don't match up with our name or the things that we know about God? In my story above, those desires and longings can be complex and deeply contrasted to our experiences. We who experience that deep ache know how complex it can be. And just like in our lives, there is suffering and struggle. There's both tragedy and complexity of human existence. And maybe we've told God, like I've told God many times that, hey, God, I'm doing all the right things, I think. I'm praying all the right prayers and it seems like you are not answering me. And maybe we've let bitterness creep in and we begin to expect that God will not answer us. See, it's here in these complex moments that in our lives and in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth that we see part of human existence is that complexity of suffering. We can find ourselves in the story too. We can relate. We can actually see too how they respond to waiting and longing. See, we're gonna see that this does not derail God. And we don't let our longings convince us that God is lacking. Our hope is expectantly waiting for God to arrive 
and it does not expire. We see further in our passage in verse six, Zechariah and Elizabeth are of outstanding character and obedience to God. We also see in reference in verse seven that instead of having a massive family and tons of kids, Elizabeth is childless. See, in this cultural context of ancient Israel, this is seen as a shameful, and many would mock and both Elizabeth and Zechariah for being barren. Here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, like we saw and found out that they're very old and they're beyond the typical childbearing age. So perhaps it's here both of them experiencing circumstances that would communicate somehow that the Lord has forgotten them, right? Maybe they're experiencing social shame and ridicule from friends. And perhaps people or those in their community begin to doubt their spiritual life. Or maybe both of them started to believe something must be wrong with them, right? Maybe we've experienced this complexity or same range of questions, but it's at this moment that we actually have a deeper invitation to hope and expectant of God to think maybe God can intervene one more time. Further on, remember that part about silence that I talked about? Zechariah, we pick up in verse eight through 10, is not a stranger to silence. See, Zechariah was serving as a priest and being a priest during this time was one of the highest honor. It also made Zechariah and the fellow priesthood no stranger to waiting. See, priests during that time in ancient Israel only served twice a year, a week at a time. And it was scheduled by lot, like a lottery system. So once you served, you actually weren't allowed to serve again until the next year. And this wasn't just a job for one person for the whole of their lifetime. This was from thousands of people vying for one particular post. So in this process, there actually was no guarantee that you would get selected. So Zachariah had no guarantee, but here he was serving as his priest a whole time into his old age faithfully. And this, he found himself at an opportunity and an invitation of a lifetime. We see him serving in passage and then, um, in our passage and then in verse 11, we see that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I wanna make a note here that in verse 11, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, this is the moment that ended the 400 years of silence from God in the Old Testament. See, silence did not mean absence or that God was not at work. God is always at work. And maybe sometimes our longings shadow what God is already doing in our midst. We go further in our passage to verses 12 through 17. We actually see the angel of Gabriel appeared to him with some very shocking news. Hey, Zachariah, you're gonna be a dad. <laughs> the angel Gabriel also tells of the prophetic nature of their son, John. But we also see how Zechariah responds. Impatiently, imperfectly, he's stunned. He's also first gripped in fear and then responds in verse 18 that says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. This is a lot to take in. I would be stunned. But here we see that angel um, tells Zechariah that he's gonna be struck silent. So also he's unable to speak. So we also see in further in verses 21 to 22, 
Now Zachariah's silent, he's coming out, his friends are wondering what the heck happened to you. And can you imagine trying to communicate with no cell phones or like writing tablet or paper of like what happened? It's kind of the weirdest looking charades. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. But from that, somehow the people know, okay, great, Zachariah has been visited by the Lord. He had a vision. So we're just gonna let him finish his thing, okay? So he goes in there, he finishes, he returns home and returns home and Elizabeth finds out that she is pregnant. Right, so, and in her response is also almost imperfect and in disbelief as well. We see in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, also like Elizabeth, sometimes in my story that I've expressed, longing is that ache. But for Elizabeth and Zechariah, it's come as shame. It's come as disgrace. Elizabeth and Zechariah experienced their longing in this way, and here God has actually answered their longing. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's expectant waiting, in their longing, they have encountered barrenness. I think that's what made it so shocking, right? I wanna take a quick little sidebar and note about something about barrenness in the story of God, and in particular, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. See, the story of Advent points us not to let our longings actually convince us that God is lacking. It's these moments of barrenness that are the exact moment when we are invited to ask those hard questions like I shared earlier. It's where we ask to go and discover deep, where is that ache? What's the root of that ache? And especially in Advent, it's when we are expectantly waiting for God to arrive. We see that barrenness is not a surprise or strange concept to God. This aspect of barrenness or giving birth to both literally and metaphorically things is all over the Old Testament and all over the DNA of the story of God. We see pregnancy themes, both literally and metaphorically, and they're all within and woven into the story of God. See, we see this in stories in the Old Testament like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, and now even within the passage with Mary. These are all barren women, both literally and metaphorically, that conceive. Also, barrenness, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, also points to a greater aspect of the story of God or emptiness that we might experience in our journey with God. See, it's in these moments of emptiness or barrenness, they're invitations for us to see through stories like Zachariah and Elizabeth to seek clues for what God might be up to. We bring this into our lives and we might be able to draw some lines as we relate to God. We can find ourselves in this story as well. Author Sharon Hode Miller says, in Advent, God invites us to consider whether the darkness that feels so much like a tomb might actually be a womb. There's some questions that we can ask God in this. With God, we ask him, help us name our darkness or the shadows that we find ourselves in. And with God, we can ask him, where are those deep aches? Where's the root of those? We have courage to seek that. With God, we ask him, what feels like a womb? And with God, we can also ask him, what feels like a tomb? But we also know for us as followers of Christ that there's hope from the birth of the Messiah in Jesus' story that the tomb actually was a womb for us. So we're back into Zachariah and Elizabeth's story in Luke 1. So we find themselves in this story, they're pregnant. 
And mind you, Zachariah is still silent and it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. I can't imagine what that birth was like where Zachariah is silent and, her, and his wife is giving birth. Not helpful, but that's okay. Um, they're holding on to the promise that they aren't going to let their longings convince them that God is lacking. So we continue to see how the story unfolds. And after nine months, they give birth to their son, who we know as John the Baptist. In verse 57, it says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. So remember this whole conversation, Zachariah is still unable to speak and is still silent. <laughs> so verse 62, we pick it up in the story that says, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. We see that Zachariah and Elizabeth are John the Baptist's parents. It's also right here in the story that we have insight that their legacy of waiting has actually impacted generations to come. See, it's when we pause and ponder the intricate workings and plans God has been up to all along. This should fill us with hope and encouragement because we see that God was not lacking. He was not absent. So we also see that his name is John, which we know John the Baptist, but John's name means God is gracious. I want us to pause and think of something really significant here it should fill us with hope, is see that John's name, God is gracious, is significant because of the parents' life experiences that they have with God. Remember, Zachariah's name means God remembers. And John the Baptist has his own purposes and prophetic gifting on his life. And John the Baptist, we discover, will make a way for the Messiah to the world just as his birth prepares and precedes the birth of Jesus. In verse 17, it says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, John's parents knew that their longings did not mean God was lacking. And just like this story, we remember to not let our longings convince us that God is lacking. God is always at work and his life is Advent. I wanna take a moment to dive deep and further into Zachariah's song and his response. See, at the moment that his name was stated, he was able to speak. He was no longer struck silent. And I don't want us to miss the significance of this song. We see in this text and this song in a whole new light. Remember I talked about Mary's being young and she's pregnant and she's, I was just like, she's young. And <laughs> Zachariah and Elizabeth is coming from a deep longing, a place that must have impacted their song and the way they related to God. Can you imagine sitting for nine months unable to speak, unable to process what's going on verbally. And I would imagine that when we had the moment where we could speak, 
I don't know how I would respond, but I would imagine it's some sort of like ugly yell with shouting and crying and proclaiming God. But we see in this song, in Zechariah's song, that singing is actually the proper song to God's grace. And it's important to understand that often can't understand Zechariah or someone just like him, someone's song unless we understand their story. So we see and sing Zechariah's song in a whole new light. And I want us to take a moment to imagine with hope and expectation that that deep ache of the thing that we're longing, God actually gives it to us. And how would we respond to him? What would be our posture to him? I want us to read Zechariah's words and song with this lens. It's a prophetic praise and a testimony of what God has done and what he was doing all along. In verse 67, it says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to the rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we see Zechariah is not just reading the song. He is shouting it, proclaiming it. He was unable to speak. I can't imagine how loud and almost wailing and emotional that was filled with. Again, he goes further in his song and prophesying about his son, John the Baptist, in 76. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Listen, this is not just silent reading for him, right? This is shouting and praising and clapping and singing. And this is a reminder of our posture in worship as well to God. We're entering into the things that God has already been doing. And as I close, I wanna share three things actually in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story that we can learn about their faithful posture of waiting. We see in Zechariah and Elizabeth, when they're waiting, faithful posture and a faithful response to longing and waiting is prayer. In the midst of their hopelessness, they hold on to God in prayer. And see, it would be socially acceptable for Zechariah to divorce Elizabeth, especially because she was barren and in this time and culture, people would have commended Zechariah. But he doesn't do that. He holds fast to God in prayer. See, it's for us. When things don't go our way, do we still hold to God in prayer? We can learn that prayer is not just for staying connected with God because maybe we think that if we're good or pray the right prayers, that God is gonna give us what we want. No, actually prayer isn't transactional. It's relational. Prayer is related to God and it brings us closer and more intimate with God. It's that honesty with God, that raw honesty I talked about. He can handle that. And its purpose is all the things we talked about also in our House of Prayer series is that prayer is for our good. It's for us to be intimate with Jesus. Number two, we faithfully wait imperfectly. See, Advent reminds us that we are not faithful in our waiting, yet God is faithful in his coming. 
We think when we lack faith, actually, that somehow God can't perform, though, even though we see that, like Zechariah lacks faith, I lack faith, but God still performs miracles. We see this in Zechariah's response to being visited by the angel Gabriel. See, he has worries and doubts. He's gripped with fear, but he still sees that God has a way of coming through. We also see that in Zechariah's silence and Elizabeth's seclusion, they doubted and waited imperfectly. There's freedom actually to acknowledge that us, you and me are flawed and human and human in our responses, but this actually doesn't limit God. Zechariah was also, and I said his story, struck silent, but this also wasn't a punishment from God for his doubt or fear. It's actually an act of grace. Like Zechariah, sometimes we need to sit in silence in our doubt and fear for nine months with God. That means for us, no tweets or blogs or rants, just silence with God. And we can also realize that also silence is grace. So like Zechariah and Elizabeth, maybe silence is the thing that fuels to give birth to something. It's also one of the great holy mysteries of how there can be great joy and great suffering in life and how we can still faithfully wait in that space, right? It's in the imperfection that we also experience a deep divine grace and closeness to God. It reveals God's greater glory. We are so imperfect in this. But one of my favorite authors, Madeline Ingle, quotes, in a very real sense, not one of us is qualified, but it seems that God continually chooses the most unqualified to do his work, to bear his glory. If we are qualified, we tend to think that we have done the job ourselves. If we are forced to accept our evident lack of qualification, then there's no danger that we will confuse God's work with our own or God's glory with our own. I love that quote. We are very imperfect and we're free to be imperfect in our waiting. And remember, it's not that we're faithful in our waiting, it's that God is faithful in his coming. And number three, faithful waiting makes a way for the new. We see that Zachariah and Elizabeth have held on for years and turned into decades and then turned into our lifetime. And just like my story I shared and often parts probably that you relate to in your stories, it's a mixture of the spiritual life with God. That it isn't an excuse to the difficulty or struggle that there's mystery also in that, but is that we hold to God in prayer and presence that we actually can question all those things, what he might be inviting us into. What should we make space for, right? I pause and ponder Zachariah and Elizabeth's nine months of what was just revealed to them. Zechariah in silence and shock for nine months and Elizabeth in five months in seclusion. I think about their prayer life. I kind of wonder what it would be like. Do you think they had time to process all the deep things that just went on? See, silence made a way for something new in both of their hearts and in their lives. And silence didn't mean absence, but rather a deep processing of longing of expectation. We also see a change here in Zechariah's song that when he could finally be set to use his voice, the song is a response. It's the language to his longing, to a deep pondering of what was actually made new in his life. It was a praise to God. It gave language to the space that he had in his life. And also, faithful waiting makes new for us as well, but it's also more importantly making new for others. 
It's not just about us. See, we see this in the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth waiting and in the silence and to the birth and to actually to John's ministry and to the birth of the Messiah. See, this was actually not for their own sake, their own processing, but it was actually for the sake of the world. So to close, I hope my prayer was that we've moved one step closer towards God, maybe just the turn the face or the eyebrow raise to God um, and are waiting in longings in this season. And also we can see that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is preparing us for even the more remarkable conception of birth of Jesus himself. And it reminds us that God regularly works through ordinary people, you and me doing ordinary things every day in our normal life. And it's a mixture of our half faith and devotion and that we're holding ourselves ready and preparing ourselves for whatever God has in mind and what he wants to do. See, the story is about much more than Zachariah's joy at having a son at last or Elizabeth's exaltation of no longer barren and being freed from shame. It's about the great fulfillment of God's promises and purposes that God really is up to something for our good. See, time hasn't run out and he hasn't forgotten. And this doesn't mean our longings change, but maybe the way we ask questions and search deeper do. Church, my prayer is that we may wait in glorious expectation and prayer and hope and the comfort that God is coming. Amen. Amen.